So uh, thank you to all the ways in which you do support our church. And can you thank the people who were involved in that ministry this past week? Good stuff. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible this morning, please. Uh, turn to Matthew chapter 28 if you're unfamiliar with Scripture. It's about three-quarters of the way through the Bible. If you don't own a Bible or have one on your smartphone, there are, in the East Auditorium, there's some people moving around with Bibles right now, and here in the West Auditorium, they're in the pew rack in front of you. If you would like to have that as our gift to you, we'd be honored if you would take it home with you today, please. So while you're looking for Matthew 28, I needed to bring just a, a, a moment of... Um, moment of awkwardness to you, if I may, to start our time together. And that is, we knew that we would have lots of people with us today. And um, so we knew that some points we would actually probably have to get people to move closer, or we'd have people sitting, they'd, they'd say, well, I regularly sit here, and, and you know, and somebody's taking my, my seat, and so forth, and so on. No, that doesn't happen too much around here anymore. We've kind of got past that. But nonetheless, so in order to make certain that we weren't, uh, that although we might be, so to speak, oversold, that we wouldn't have any problems. We've got some friends from United Airlines who are here today to make certain that Easter doesn't get overcrowded. That was unkind, wasn't it? What's going to be unkind is you two, you're out of here right now. <laughs> I couldn't help it. This, they did this in the great work, best week for us, but we knew we'd have a lot of people here anyways. So perhaps you've seen uh, that as we've been running up to East, our Easter weekend, we have been um, uh, focusing and getting the, the community, if you will, to look at our conversation, what it means to come to hope. You've seen it in the postcards we've sent, it out, sent out. You've seen the invitations you had, some of the tweets that you had, and so forth and so on. You've seen it in billboards around town. And I would suspect it's a reasonable question that some would have and say, you know, Wayne, um, don't, you, don't you think that's really kind of forward to think that you and your church, you're going to speak on hope. Do you, do you really think you've got a corner on the hope market? I need to say, yeah, that's what Christians believe. We believe we do. And I'd like to explain to you why we say that and how it plays out, because we're fully aware that people all across the various spectrums and, and demographics of life all need a sense of hope. There are places where that's really the case. Like if you go into your doctor's office or you're in the hospital and the doctor comes in and says, well, there's not a lot of hope left. What have you heard? You've heard the story of a terminal disease and it's like, whoa, how's that going to play out? And you have this sense, I gotta, now I start to push back from fear. I've got to figure out how does this impact my family? How does this impact my finances? What does my future look like? You, I need some hope in the middle of that. Or maybe it's not in maybe those real dire situations like that, but perhaps a little more step back from that, like you're about to have your appendix out, and you learn they're going to cut on your belly, and you go, man, I, I hope that someday in the future I'll be able to do sit-ups again. No, you don't ever say that. Nobody ever hopes to be able to, you know what I'm, but perhaps about your knee, okay, so you're going to get a knee replaced, saying, I hope the day will come when I can well, can I go up the stairs again without any pain? This business of hope as it relates to health has drawn a lot of attention and research of late. In 2015, a report came out showing how the two are related. It says this, hope has the ability to help people heal faster and easier. Individuals who maintain hope significantly enhance their chances of recovery. This is really important because if people with chronic physical or mental uh, illnesses believe that their condition is stable, in other words, that it's never going to change, 
they have little chance of recovery. People want to know, can, I be, can tomorrow be better? Can, can there be something within me that says I can, I can sing about the challenges of tomorrow? Emily Dickinson, a 19th century American poet, put it this way, that hope is the thing with feathers, a, a bird, if you will. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Sometimes we don't know what the words are to hope. We don't always know how to express it, but we do want to know, can there be a better day? Can there be a better day for now and for long term? As a congregation, if I may, say that that's really a driving force behind the mission of our congregation. Can we help other people understand hope? And I'll just tell you, uh, for those who are part of our church, you need to know something's coming up in the first weekend of May in this regard. It's our habit to work in the community very intentionally, but we also take on two nations as a congregation. We send teams to Cuba and to Kenya. We just had a team of 12 men on a construction trip return from Cuba doing some great work down there. And then we send construction and um, medical teams to Kenya. And when those teams go, the, the individuals fund their own way to get there. But as a congregation, we come behind them and say, okay, we're going to supply the construction materials or the medicines that are needed. And um, so like... As a matter of fact, in Kenya, we make certain that somebody goes ahead and buys the supplies because there's no Lowe's down there to do one-stop shopping. You know, when we go to Cuba, we carry everything in uh, because to buy stuff there is very difficult. Or when we go to, to Kenya and medical stuff, the, the team, we've got 20 people, more than 20 people going in July. They'll literally carry hundreds of pounds of medicines with them and we'll set up in a remote villages way far away from where clinics ever are. And so way down on the southern border of Tanzania. And so when, when we send those teams, we want to resource those teams well. We did that a number of years ago. That fund has run dry. And I, First Christian Church, be mindful of this. May 6 and 7, I want to see if we can raise $50,000 in one day together, okay? In one day to resource those teams for the years ahead. Because we've learned we actually lost a patient a few years ago because we didn't have the right medicines out there in the bush. So we want to make certain they've got what they need. So I'd, be, I'd, I'd help you if you would, I would be appreciated if you'd keep that in mind. Because we want to provide hope to others. And you're going, okay, Wayne, so you're going to go do some things cool, but how does hope apply to me? Well, uh, could I get you to do a, a, an action with me. Kids, this is, since you're with us in worship today, we've got this uh, project for you. Mom and dad are going to show you what hope looks like. Can everybody do this? Put your left hand over your, over your belly, okay, and make a fist. Then take your other hand and go like that, okay? Can I tell you that's an expression of hope? I'm looking at you going, it doesn't look all that hopeful, but what? Well, apparently it wasn't an expression of hope. 1747, a uh, European artist, Francesco Guadi, released his oil painting called Allegory of Hope, and here's what it looks like, and I'm going, I don't get the hope. I don't see that's how that's hopeful at all. And I've, I've been looking at that painting for a few weeks now in anticipation of this weekend, going, where's the hope in that? And I actually showed it to some staff members. Uh, they're all kind of like nuts as well. Well, I don't know where this hope is in there. And actually one of them said, well, truth be told, it's just an 18th version of the dab. Kids, can you do the dab? I don't, I don't find this nor that really all that helpful. I'm so glad you took a photo of that as I was doing that. I'm so fearful that that is going to be all over social media now. You're telling me it is, right? I appreciate that so much. 
very glad that I can provide entertainment for all of you. No, so I, I'm saying if this isn't hopeful and if this isn't hopeful, then where are we going to find hope? Can I point you to the story of Matthew chapter 28? All right, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read about what happened on the day that Jesus rose from the dead, okay? He died Friday. Saturday is the Sabbath. Jewish culture says they're not to do anything, so they can't visit the tomb. And two of his uh, followers, Mary and Mary, uh, show up at dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards, there are guards there because the Jewish ruling council and the Roman occupying force were concerned that this statement that Jesus had made, that he was going to rise from the dead, that it might be, well, they were, here's what, they were afraid that in order to make it look like he rose from the dead, that some of his followers might come and steal his body. So they're going to post guard, they had guards posted so his body wouldn't be taken out and thus the this business of Jesus being the Messiah would be negated. But here he is risen from the dead, and the guards are so afraid of this angel that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Don't be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. That's a fascinating experience, I'm sure, for these ladies, if you think about it. They've seen Jesus die, they've walked to the tomb, and here the stone has rolled away, and now there's this white, dazzling creature in front of them who knows their story. He's not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Did they poke their head inside the tomb, inside the little cave? Go quickly, tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you'll see him. I've told you this. So the women hurried away from the tomb. Notice their emotions, afraid, yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly, they're going on their way, and who shows up but Jesus. Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. <laughs> they yeah. Jesus says greetings. I'm going, wow. I, I love that statement, greetings. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And some of you are looking at this and saying, okay, that's Easter, I get it. But Wayne, do you really believe it? It's just a bit much, isn't it? It's just a bit over the top. I mean, do you really think that this, I mean, people don't rise from the dead, do they? Well, can I tell you, friends, history tells us that more than 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And if, if they lied to us, then we've got a problem. But more than 500 said, we saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. And if that's not true, then Jesus' ministry isn't true. Because Jesus had said, I'm the Son of God and I'm going to rise from the dead. And if he lied to us about that, that means he's a fraud. That means his ministry was fraudulent. And frankly, that means anyone who has ever followed him in the 2,000 years since then, who claimed him to be the Son of God, including people today, you know who we are? We are duped idiots, if this isn't true. Because this is what Christians believe. Christians believe that this God-man came without the normal intersection of a man and a woman. And this baby was, if you will, planted inside Mary. He was born, grew to be a man, had ministry. He died and he rose again. That's what we fully believe. We believe that that was all part of God's plan 
to conquer and to, it was the ultimate weapon. Jesus was the ultimate weapon against what Christians call sin, and it was the ultimate weapon against death, that this God-man defeated sin and defeated death. See, death was not part of the original plan of creation. You go, what? Truthfully. Death was not part of the original plan of salvation, the original plan of creation, if you look at it in Scripture. But instead, de- death became part of humanity's story when humanity, humans, decided to do bad. This is the reality. This bad, this sin of humanity brought death. And Jesus comes along. He conquers sin by dying on the cross. And his resurrection proves that he also conquered death. And friends, that is the driving force of of Christian faith, that our sin is forgiven, that our death is nullified by a resurrection in the future. As a matter of fact, would you read with me right now what Christians believe? That this life is only the first chapter. Can I hear you say it okay? This life is only the first chapter of a victory over sin and death. Righteousness through Jesus is an attainable goal. And life after death is a sure hope. That's why we do Easter. That's why you're here today. That's why Christians go around the world to say, this is what happens when Jesus rose from the dead, that there's something deep within us that causes us to always want to sing something or other, even in the midst of dire, dire, dire circumstances. We have this hope that carries us through eternity, that scriptures say that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so also we will rise from the dead. And Christians in the last 2,000 years have gone around the world to tell people about that. You're sitting here today because somebody else decided that the people of Decatur years ago needed to know of the story of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you the story of a family who decided that they should go and tell others of Jesus Christ. Let me introduce you to the William Cox family. The Coxes were Methodist missionaries in New Guinea at the turn of the 20th century. Um, New Guinea is a small island nation. Uh, just north of Australia. It's a very fascinating place. Anthropologists go there to study people groups because there are 800 different tribes in New Guinea in a very small landmass with 800 different languages. And if you want to study languages and the differences between them, New Guinea is the place to go. One of the tribes there is known as the Foray tribe. We would say it in English, F-O-R-E. That's how it's spelled, but they're called the Foray people. There are 20,000 Foray's who have... Um, a unique culture, a unique language, and a unique way that they die. They literally laugh themselves to death. They do what? Well, it's it's, it's a form of mad cow disease in their brains that is passed from one family member to the next family member, not um, not through genetics, but up until the early 60s, the foray practiced cannibalism. And the best way you could honor a family member or a friend was to cannibalize that person upon their death. And consequently, they would pass this mad cow. They actually called it the Kuru disease, K-U-R-U. They'd pass it from one brain to the next brain to the next brain. And you, in your 20s, might honor a family member, and that disease would be transferred to your brain, and it might not show up. There are people here people alive today who were part of that practice in the early 60s who are still yet alive and they're expecting that this disease will show up late in their life. And the way in which they will know that it has actually kicked in is the receptors in their brain cause them to start laughing uncontrollably. 
they laughed themselves to death. It was in cultures like that that the Caucasus said, we're going to come and we're going to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ and we're going to say that this practice and others that are not biblical, if you will, can be, can be stopped and for the hope of Jesus Christ and life after death and the forgiveness of sins, we can bring about a change. You know, think about this. This is at the beginning of the 20th century. There are no planes. So if there's a problem that they need to get out of there, there's no way to get out quickly. There are no telephones to warn them of a problem. Hey, some natives are not, not happy with you. They're coming to overtake your compound. There are no ways to email and say, hey, we've got this situation going on to their supporters and say, would you pray for us in this matter? No, none of that was there. They, took, they risked their lives for the sake of telling others about the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. You go, Wayne, that's quite the story. How do you know that? Well, I want you to look at the left-hand picture on the, of the little baby being held. It's a little girl, and she's being held by a New Guinea nanny. That little baby was my grandmother. Years ago, she went, well, actually, she was born there. Her siblings were born there. They were raised there. They went to go and say, as a family, the good news of Jesus Christ is so powerful that we'll risk our lives we want others to know of him. This hope of Jesus Christ is something powerful. This understanding that sin can be defeated and that death is wiped out. Oh, yes, we still live with sin in our lives. I get that. And I know, yes, we will still die. But the reality is that sin is forgiven through the cross of Christ. And our death will be nullified through our own resurrection, as Scripture says. So to that end, look again at Matthew chapter 28. And take a look at the emotions of the women. They see, the, they, they see the, uh, the angel, and he says, I've told you what's going on. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus meets them and he says, Greetings. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. I, I love the response. They're, they're filled with joy, and yet they're afraid, and yet Jesus shows up. They can push back from the fear, and he says, by the way, have joy. Push back from fear, and uh, I, what I suggest you carry on because I'm going to show up again. Go to Galilee and see me there. Friends, today, Jesus is risen from the dead. He is risen indeed. Experience the joy. Step away from fear. Meet Jesus right here, today, in this place. Meet Jesus right here. Let him be the hope that sings even when you don't have the words. And above all, discover that hope found in Christ. Let me pray for us, okay? Father, we are quick to acknowledge the world is kind of messed up. We have stories of people hurting one another. We have stories of diseases that overtake brains and we know, Lord, that people do bad things. We know that death is, well, we say it's part of life. But, Lord, we're also aware that that's not what you planned initially. We pray you would help us be restored to who you want us to be. Followers of you through Jesus Christ who are um, made alive through our hope in him. I pray, God, that this day you would enable hope to live within us to the point where... Um, we can sing the tune even if we don't have the words. This sense that there's more to this day than just Easter clothes and Easter eggs and eating ham.
Picard, this day is a day in which we recognize that Jesus died and he rose again. Our sins are forgiven. There is life eternal found only in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.